You're listening to Mike and Kristen. The podcast. I'm Mike, a musician, writer, and producer. And I'm Kristen, a painter, writer, and designer. Our show is all about following dreams, taking chances, and what life as an artist is really about. Together, we bring you weekly guest interviews and thought-provoking conversations. Let's go! I can hear clearly now The sound is gone That doesn't make sense. Sound is on. Sound is on. That's a good one. Try it. You're going to sing it with me? Sure. I can hear clearly now The sound is on Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We just wrote that. Well, we took the words and melody from a, a famous song and just replaced a couple that make it rel- relative to our situation. Well, I took an art lesson when I was a kid and they told me that most art is replicating other people's art in some way. I think initially it would have to be. Like, I don't know if anyone is born with just a... If you were born in the woods and didn't have any access to any influence if you could just create like a beautiful painting or mm-hmm. music must be the same though like you're oh you're borrowing even if it's subconsciously yeah i don't ever try to write a song that sounds like someone else but i know that i'm just a product of my influences and my experiences and yeah all the all the bands i listen to and guitar licks i learned when i was 13 they all seep into what i do one way or another I overheard you at the Big Shiny Tunes concert because everyone was doing cover songs. Talk about how even when you're trying to make it sound like the original, it's near impossible. Well, some some people are better than others at it. Like some people can just go up and sound like someone else, or are really good at playing covers. And I'm I'm not great at covers just because I I like to put my own twist on things. Well, and I think you're great and that and that being why because you do put your own twist well, on. Well, I'm saying I'm not good at doing things exactly the oh, same. Oh, I see. Yeah. Well, and what was interesting for me because I'm so familiar with your voice and your songs when I heard you singing a cover song, it was like it was as though it was the first time I was hearing you sing. Like your everything was different singing that cover. So uh, which one? Apparitions. That's uh, well, yeah, I I didn't try to sing different. I guess. Yeah, I mean, it still was familiar, but there was just something unique about it. Nice. Yeah. I'm I'm glad you liked it. I did. I did indeed. So we've got. Uh, We've got a really helpful episode today. This is one of my favorite ones we've ever done. Me too. And it was my favorite because, so we have our guest, Wendy Brookhouse, and she is a financial advisor and money coach is how she would identify her her title. And she is the founder of Black Star Wealth. They're kind of a boutique firm, which we talk about, but... It was super, she was very comfortable to sit. We had not met Wendy before. She was referred to us by a former podcast guest, Stephanie Purcell. So shout out to Steph for making that connection. But uh, she was just accessible and I think introduced us to a lot of new ideas about money. Yeah, I think money is something every single person in the world uh, has to 
figure out a way to to work with and figure out how to make the, their life work with it. And a lot of people aren't great with that. Her advice and perspective and, and business really is different because you're not just going in like you would sit down at a bank for financial advice. She's really looking at your relationship with money, your mindset towards money. And you'll hear in the episode, we go through some simple exercises that you can do at home as a listener as well, and that you and I kind of walked through in real time. But it's it's teaching us that like money, like you're saying, it impacts us all. It's something we've all been influenced by from either our parents or our upbringing, but we don't really talk about it in this way. Yeah, I, I loved loved her chat. It was just um, really informative. And again, like we don't dive into this that often. So it's just helpful to think of those things. And maybe you just kind of grapple uh, something in just a slightly different way, look at it in a slightly different way, and maybe you're able to save for your future or be able to pay off your mortgage quicker or be able to afford a little nicer apartment just if you make these few small changes. And I, I think just, yeah, it's something everyone has to be conscious of. I think you'll learn to feel better about money. That's what I took away from this is being different from maybe other pieces of advice that we've learned. And and Wendy works um, not explicitly, but works with a lot of creative people. So because we've uh, had so many artists and entrepreneurs on our show and in our network, we especially think it will benefit that group of people. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Most creative people are horrible with money. Well, this com- <laughs> like how many times has this come up with our guests though that we love what we do, we love our lifestyle, the number one challenge is the the way we feel about money or yeah. how much money we're we're bringing in. So, yes, a very versatile, accessible episode. Wendy's amazing. We're actually attending one of her webinars this afternoon and we'll learn more as we keep going, developing yeah. our relationship with her. Well, let's get at it. Here we go. Let's go. Woo. Did you find that picking blueberries at such a young age that that helped you learn how to manage money? Like, <laughs> was that the intro to having no, an I income and a budget? It was the first first time I really made money, I think, because yeah. you know the other stuff did was not really paid. Oh, babysitting! I did some babysitting. Yeah, I was a lawnmower. Oh yes, that's the well the typical. Rural Nova Scotia teenage boy jobs. Yeah. Get a lawnmower and start with your grandmother's lawns and then build up a reputation as a solid lawnmower man, <laughs> lawnmower boy at the time, and just <laughs> extend my reach out further until I built an empire. <laughs> you started, didn't you? Uh, you got paid like to the minute by one of your clients? Well, yes, I got hired by the local nuns to mow their lawn. Mowing nuns' lawn sounds, I don't know, like a, f- a funny saying. Oh, I was mowing nuns' lawns. Anyway, they, uh, most people would pay like well, t- a flat rate, $10 or $20. And I, uh, I went out and mowed the nuns' lawn and afterwards i went to the door to get paid and they said so how long did it take I'm like oh 
I don't know, it was like maybe 40 minutes. And then they went in their pocket and gave me like $7.23. You goddamn cheap <laughs> people. And then, your, then <laughs> your first introduction to selling time by the hour versus package pricing. <laughs> exactly. So my next <clears throat> next time I went and I, I always like to try to get my work done like efficiently. Like I'm not wasting any time. And that's why it would take most people probably an hour, but I did 40 minutes because I'm like focused, you know, in the zone. The next time I went, I mowed a peace sign into their lawn just to kill time. <laughs> and then and then it took me like an hour and 15 minutes and they paid me whatever ten dollars and whatever the math would be there but uh yeah they were exact to the cent on the the time that it took to mow the lawn that was a good lesson i think for a young boy yeah they're very sweet but very cheap <laughs> and so wendy we're <laughs> we're so happy to have you here today because what you have to offer, your knowledge, your business, your expertise and advice is so applicable to the guests that we've had on our show. We've uh, had a lot of artists and entrepreneurs. Money is always top of mind. It does make the world go round, unfortunately. So it does. And so we're going to try to cover a lot of topics here. Uh, we want to know a lot about the money mindset aspects of mm. things, and then maybe we'll get into some more tangible tips and tricks. But Perfect. I'd like to start with just what drew you to take on this uh, type of work. Well, that's interesting. So in university, I actually did a finance major, and then I didn't use it for like a decade. <laughs> so I did. I went out and I, I came out in a recession, so it was a little rough hole. I was doing a lot of... Um, temp work actually yeah. and I got to see a lot of different offices a lot of different places and uh, customer service type jobs marketing jobs that type of thing and then uh, went back to school did my MBA and started doing more business consulting so that was um, working with uh, marketing plans business plans strategic plans helping on some implementations that type of stuff uh, and then I had a client that was in this in the finance industry and I realized you know I think I could do better and so that's when I started taking the finance degree plus the methodologies I'd kind of learned from being a consultant and brought them all together into one package so it was kind of an interesting road to get there I think it made me a better advisor because yeah. I took a longer road to get there. You had the life experience to put into it. Yeah, yeah. Was that the birth of Black Star Wealth, your now company? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. It started out with a really awful name, so we'll forget about that part. But uh, <laughs> White <know>. Star Wealth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I started out, I was going to call it Red Star, because I have red hair and I'm a star, yeah. you see. Yeah, see. So Love it. And then my, in my uh, research, uh, when I talked to some friends, and a friend of mine says, well, you know, a red star, that's a sign of communism, right? <laughs> and then, you know, well, red's the color of when you're not in the black, right? So you're in the negative. And then a friend of mine, and she goes, well, I was telling someone about it, and they go, red's the last color a star turns before it blows up. And so I said, black star, yes. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> There's some thought put into this then. Absolutely. You only needed three specific reasons to not call it red star. <laughs> well, when they come in, bam, bam, yeah. bam, you're like, all right, the universe is telling me something here. Yes. <laughs> it must change this up. And when you launched that business, was it just you as a sole proprietor? Absolutely. So I started off on my own, and I 
the other interesting thing is I came in as an independent right from the get-go. So I never worked for a bank. I never worked for what we call like the career shops, which in our industry we call the the London Lifes and the Investors Group and those type of people where you're you're working strictly for that company and they're teaching you your their methodologies. So from the get-go, I kind of felt like I was finding my way out of what paper bag because I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't have uh, a whole lot of support, but it also gave me blessings beyond belief in the sense that I did it the way I thought things should be done, not the way they had been done, right? So I was actually able to, hey, use a lot of self-reference criteria, SRC. This is what I would want, right? I would like actually some guidance on how to best spend my money and make sure it's aligned with my values and that it covers all the things it needs to cover versus selling product based on what I think you might buy it for or might be willing to spend. I think there's a lot of this clarity for people coming in now to have the permission to do things for yourself, not Mm. the way it's always been done. And I think that speaks to how certainly Mike and I were were raised in the, the mindset of money and only now as adults and having a bit more learning about what that really means to us, we can tailor it more to how we want to feel, how we think about it, what our life experience is. Mm. Do you find that a, a constant in your clientele? It's a constant money mindset is a little bit like, um, you know, Intel inside or something. It's there. We never see it, but it makes things run. So it's running at this unconscious level. So our money mindset is like a track that's running our how we feel about money, what we do with money, the things we do right, the things we do wrong. It's running it's running in the background all time. So a lot of the work that I like to see happen is to start to surface some of those patterns and understanding, hey, are they still serving me? Is this stuff helping me? Is it getting me where I wanted to go or do I I have to maybe back down on and and shift that a little bit? And I'll, I'll go back a little bit too, so If we think about the whole education system, when I do presentations, I'll ask people, hey, did you learn about money in school? And I'll tell you, there's not very many hands that ever go up, Mm. right? Your parents didn't talk about money because, uh, sit down and have a conversation for the most part, because they had been taught you don't talk about money. Yeah. You just don't. But... They taught you about money by the things they said in offhand comments, or were they stressed about it? Did they argue about it? How did that happen? And what's really, really interesting to me is I took a course on uh, cognitive behavior therapy one time, and it blew my mind uh, because what they their hypothesis is is that our conscious mind does not fully develop or even start developing until age seven. And what that means is anything we hear growing up before that age, There's no filter. There's nothing that says, is this right or wrong? It's accepted as truth. Mm. And those are where some of those patterns and beliefs come from. All debt is bad. Rich people are evil. Uh, You know, all the stuff that we may have absorbed, accepted as truth, and then it just became part of our track in our mind. I'm glad you've used a couple of examples of things that we may have heard because the idea of like what is money mindset? It's it's well maybe I'll pose that question first. Like how would you define money mindset? I think money mindset is the way that you understand and what's important about money. Okay, 
So in many cases, let's say even for example that um, I hear this a lot in families that grew up with entrepreneurial parents, that there was, it's feast or famine, right? And so I think it's a little bit like, uh, so if it was feast or famine, there's no control they fought, you might actually be so controlling with your money because you don't want to be like that. A little bit like, um, I, I don't have training in this, but you know, I've heard that if you grew up with alcoholic parents, a lot of the times you're either an alcoholic or you're a teetotaler. Like yeah. there's like there's no in between because mm-hmm. you're reacting because this yes. is how it is, or you've decided I'm never going to be like that. Yeah, great example. And I think so. Okay, you're you're taking in often these subliminal messages, absolutely, because it's not why why were those conversations then and and maybe now for lots of folks so taboo. Wow, that I've not been asked that question. I think it was a a, a function of the times, right? I mean, we've become a little bit better. We st- we talk a little more about religion. We talk a little more about politics, but those were really taboo subjects, you know. And in many cases, some people will talk way more about their sex lives than they'll talk about their money uh, lives and goals, uh, because there's I think a set of judgments that they're worried will come down. If you're super ambitious about money and someone came and said, oh, my God, I can't believe you're so greedy or something like there's a judginess that could potentially happen versus a celebration of you go, go get that money. That's what you want. Right. And some of that is cultural from, I think, just where we grew up, how we grew up and whether that's celebrated or not. Um, I, I don't know that we're in a culture that does celebrate We have a very, very special sponsor of this episode that we both love dearly with all our hearts. The Rustic Rustic Crust Pizza! Pizza. Yum, yum, yum. In Upper Tan Talon, Nova Scotia. These folks started off in a food truck and they now have a fully functioning restaurant. They've got a beer garden for the summertime. They get rented out for private events. They have everything there. Yeah, I can honestly say it's my favorite pizza in the world. Like, really? 10 out of 10, so delicious. It's my favorite spot to eat. And I play a lot of gigs there. They treat me like a god when I go there. They're so nice. It's hard to believe that a local pizza spot is such good supporters of the arts. They're also very supportive of community events. They have taken in a Ukrainian family. They're always giving to fundraising events. They're just amazing people across the board. And you have your art showcase there too. I've got art up there right now. And I have to say, I love their pizza as well. Well, of course, but their Caesar salad is exceptional. Next level. The pizza is wood-fired, which makes it absolutely delicious. And the tomatoes and flour are both from Italy. They've got an awesome collection of local craft beer and wine, so you're sure to have a great drink to pair with your pizza. All of our guests that come to stay with us, we bring them there for a meal. You can find this sweet little restaurant at 10 Sunnies Road in Upper Tan Talon. They're open Tuesday to Sunday year-round, and their website is therusticcrustpizzeria.com. Yeah, you should definitely check it out if you're in the area. You can go to the beer garden, you can go inside. It's a cool house converted into a restaurant. Great people doing great things that we truly are huge fans of, so check them out now. Rustic Crust! Rustic Crust! Some of the examples that uh, we started to chat about before I had asked you for that definition were the ways that we might look at others that have money. And 
I'm thinking back to my childhood, and there was often this assumption made that people that had money were separate. They're, they're, it made we assumed even their personalities were different. Mm. Like, oh, they, you know, they're snobby or they're greedy, or there was something unrelatable about them. Mm. Yet, it was also like everybody wanted money. Everybody wanted more money than what they had. Yet we were passing judgment on the people that had what we wanted. How would you speak about that scenario? It feels a little bit like that cartoon or something I've seen when people are dating. Come here. Go away. Come here. Go away. <laughs> Mixed messages. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that creates cognitive dissonance, right? So what is what do you really want? Your brain doesn't know. So it gets, you don't get either, really. Right. If you don't have a clear vision of what you want or or you have competing visions. And that's why I think it's so important to start figuring out what are some of the things that are going on in your mind that you're not aware of. And so I will often ask three different questions in my first discovery meeting with a client. And I'll ask yeah. them, I'll ask, tell me about your first memory of money. Mm. First thing, what's your first memory of money? I... I'm not thinking of a particular moment, but I am thinking of a particular feeling from a very young age and being actually, okay, this just came to mind. I was driving to, I was a a competitive figure skater growing up and I used to have to do testing every so often to advance in your levels. And I was probably, I don't know, 10 and on my way to one of these figure skating tests and my mother was talking about how much it cost to ha- have this testing done. And at the time, I, I had no idea what that dollar value meant. Mm-hmm. Let's say it was 100 bucks, but that meant nothing to me. So, but I do remember the feeling that I had in almost being ashamed or I felt bad that I was imposing this on my parents. Mm-hmm. I I have endless memories of money being a challenge. Um, everything from arguing to cutting coupons. To, there was just never enough. Yeah. A- and also the conversations of what other people that had money, what what they were like or perceived to be like. For me, it was it's a very distinct feeling of it being stressful, uh, it being scarce, it being unattainable. And so those were very much my memories growing up in in rural Nova Scotia at the time. Mm. Yeah. How about you? Yeah, I I can't remember my specific very first memory of when money made its way into my my mind, but I definitely remember always being someone who didn't want to spend what I had. Right. I would always hold on to it. And then make a bit. I remember the first big purchase I made was uh, saving up to buy a Super Nintendo. So me and my brothers just whatever mowed lawns and did the things that you do in small towns, and we just got enough and made that purchase. In my whole life, I've always would just oh yeah, I live as I guess uh, 
cost efficiently as possible and then go buy a uh, $3,000 guitar. <laughs> like, like, I'll wear the same pair of socks for five years. Um, with Mike holes. still has most of his wardrobe is from high school still. We'll just... <laughs> like, all of my investments are uh, bigger things that I guess are part of my either business or life, like a house and car and... Yeah. And the the things we have, but I will be incredibly cheap with everything else in my life. I, I uh, the word that came up for me was you practice good delayed gratification. Mm. Maybe, maybe that is that's what I was doing. Yeah, that's what I thought as a young boy. <laughs> you probably have a T-shirt somewhere that says that. <laughs> maybe. You will soon. <laughs> So the, the what I find interesting is uh, sometimes when I ask that question, people have, will have aha moments because they all of a sudden go, "Oh my gosh, I still, I still do it like that, yeah. or I still think yeah. like that." And and you know, I never think that anything can be good or bad, but whether it serves you, right? So you got a house because you're a delayed gratification dude, right? Yeah. So <laughs> there's no there's nothing there. But have you given up something that would have given you joy? In the short term, Maybe, so that's where yeah. you right. So that's where the the trade off is because I think uh, when we get into financial planning, that balance of life today while planning for tomorrow, there is a constant tension between those two. Yes, right. And so the second and third question <clears throat> I ask have to do with trying to surface a little bit about patterns with parents, right, or someone who was significant to you growing up with money. And I ask, what is something that your parents did with money? that you would like to copy and do some more of? My parents actually balanced their checkbook. Like I remember my mom sitting down and writing every dollar spent and I definitely am not that diligent about my spending, but admire that in, in Absolutely. them. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. My parents, I make fun of my dad because he's the cheapest person I know, <laughs> but, but he's frugal. also frugal. Yeah, but he also, they just built a new house from but in the last twenty years, he probably never bought a thing that would have been uh, that would have brought joy to his life. And still, he has lots of things that bring him joy. Yeah. But he's again saving and very mindful of where every cent is going. Maybe to a detriment. Yeah, I, I remember growing up and just uh, leaving lights on in the house was. Like so we, bad, so bad. Yeah, it was like we. I transformed into the devil, and like I had to be <laughs> sent to hell or whatever. But uh, and we just got our recent power bill that breaks down all yeah. of where your energy is being spent, and in two months, three dollars went to lights. So yeah. that was so yeah. enlightening to be I, like, what was the big deal with lights? Well, yeah, I actually <laughs> laughed out loud because the new power bills break it down yeah. very specifically. And yeah, $3 went to to, to lights. And I'm like, well. <laughs> I'm spending 90% of my effort to save 1% of yeah. my bill. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But, and again, I guess back then no one would have known what the breakdown would be. But Well, and I don't think they actually know, no, but it gives me a good idea of where it probably goes. Yes. Based but, on what they but that that example is kind of just uh, the mindset that, uh, and I I kind of carry that too. I'm not as sure you do. as strict with with lights per se. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> again, well, when I go to Sobeys or when we're shopping for groceries, like I 
typically will 100% of the time buy the item that's on sale versus the one that's not. Like if it's even if the one that's not would taste really delicious that night, right? It's just little things like like that, and then you apply that to all aspects of your your life, how you approach spending, and yeah, definitely. But it's it we we do stuff like that, and we're able to travel and do a lot of things because we'll go and be very specific about buying foods that go towards air miles or going to the gas station where we get points and at the end of the year like we have all these things accumulated that allow us to do what we want yeah so the the one of the languages i'll use sometimes is it worth it right so you know having that delicious really really good steak that you spent an extra ten dollars on versus a great vacation, right? So this is where these little things start to add up. So yeah. I applaud you guys. That's awesome. The third question. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. What is something your parents did that you never want to do again with money? <laughs> I don't want to feel the way that my parents did about money. Mm. that's as simply put I can expand on that but that's what it boils down to I don't want that same stress and anxiety that I I know they they felt it sounds like it was pretty constant too it was and and I I never I want to be clear just because I you know my dad may be listening and I don't want him to feel like I never felt like we went without yes I was always very involved in athletics and extracurricular we always had enough food on the table uh, you know, gifts at Christmas time, like it, it I, I was aware of it being challenging, uh, yet I didn't feel like I, I, I went without or that we were suffering because of that. So, but so there was I, an underlying tension that you were picking up perhaps more so than the act, the, how it manifested. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of feel the exact same. Like I feel like I had it pretty easy actually. Like I was always in sports, always, if I really wanted something that would be, I guess, beneficial in my life or a good hobby or something, I would get it. Like, maybe I wouldn't get a fancy guitar, but my parents would 100% go out of their way to, to get me a guitar. And dad would wear the same shirt for seven years straight and again like they would make sacrifices themselves so we are their kids had what they needed and and yes definitely picking up on the fact that money wasn't in the best position for them but i myself didn't feel like oh i don't have like I'm not eating supper tonight, or anything. it wasn't anything like that. Like I, I ate, I did all the things I want to, but definitely, definitely feel now looking back that they definitely were going through just challenging times, figuring out how to make everything work with with three kids in the family, and that's, that's feeding the way three it is. six foot four yeah. teenage boys. We went through. We went through. I don't even drink milk now, but I remember we used to go through six liters a day. Wow. <laughs> That's a mm-hmm. lot of milk. <laughs> yeah. So the, these are very, we, we have this in common, yeah. which is interesting too, because we're now married yes. and we're bringing a lot of these same 
histories with us. And I know, Wendy, you work with uh, a lot of couples and yeah. entrepreneur couples in particular. Yeah. So we're we're part of your target audience, you might say. <laughs> <laughs> well, and so it's interesting because that's your underlying piece. And then there's then there are the what's important and what values, you know, and I'll be very, you know, we have a distinct profile that I see a fair amount where one of the couple really wants to travel and one wants to, you know, renovate and do stuff at the house, right? And so then this becomes this interesting balance uh, where I wish I had more psychology degrees, but um, mm. it, where, you know, how do we help people get to the point where they're both being able to work on stuff that they like, but maybe not as much as they want, but both, you know, that's that right. balance, that compromise, that, and I don't think compromise is bad. I think it's, hey, we'll do the house, we'll do the bathroom this year and next year we'll go on a trip, you know? Yeah. Um, I feel like when we look at the role of media and influencers and all the so all the things that we're bombarded with with messaging, if we even look at, we're constantly encouraged to spend, we're constantly encouraged to measure ourselves against others, versus you know what, just know what you guys want, what is important to you, and then turn tune out the rest of the noise. Because that's just, you know, yeah, your neighbor travels a lot, but you don't even want to travel. So who cares? That's that's such a important reminder. I, I have a specific question I want to ask oh. you before I forget. Okay. It's about pricing because we're, we're entrepreneurs. I make paintings yep. primarily. This is my bread and butter. Pricing is a curious question that comes Ooh. up for myself and, and my clients I've noticed sometimes, let's say a painting doesn't sell for a few months, I'll mark it down. Yep. Thinking that's the thing that needs to change about this piece for it to to move because that's what people are looking for. And I'm I'm only now realizing that part of this I'm sure is rooted in my belief system that it has nothing to do with the thing itself, it has to do with the price. But I'm I'm learning more about the value of myself and mm. the value of what I create. And I'll have pieces that will sell full price almost more often than those that are on sale because the right person finds it. Yes. But I, I want to have a conversation about, like, why do we think that marking something down or, or, quote, devaluing it is what we think that the customer is looking for? So you've really opened a can of worms here because the pricing is, there's so much tied up into it. So if we think about money as a concept, it really is a tool, right? It's something we can use to get the, what we want, do what we want, that type of stuff. But as we just talked about, it is wrapped and wrapped and wrapped around, around an emotion, deep-seated fears, deep-seated desires, all those things that it, somehow money's become this, really thing thing that became hard and i'm not sure but i feel like also gender plays a role in our approach pricing so sometimes when people are pricing their services their products things like that if they put it out in the world at a price that is easy to say no to they're going to take it as a no to them personally versus it's just not the thing for them, right? Uh, so we sometimes have to take away that it's not you they're saying no to. 
Mm. Right. So if we take that piece away uh, when it comes to our product and we very we we did say a little bit about the fact that the nuns had you on an hourly race (laughs) 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 and everyone else had package rates. (laughs) But that is true, too. Right. Like I feel. What is the value you're providing versus the cost of goods that went into it? Right. Painting a probably has still the same amount of canvas, oils, or acrylics, whatever you're using, and the maybe even the same amount of time, but the output is different, right? So if you were to, then all your paintings should cost the same. Mm. How much did the, oh, I spent $20 on paint and $50 on the canvas, so this is a $300 painting with my margins versus this is gorgeous. I think someone would, you know, the value of this is actually the joy that someone will get from this is a thousand dollars, right? So that's two different mindsets going in the value versus the inputs. Yes. Right? So it's balancing that. And then the, the other factor that has to be considered is market. What will the market bear? Right. What are other people in that same, you know, Lawn mowing a town. <laughs> How much are they charging to mow the lawn, right? Yeah. So and maybe you do something a little different that has a little magic touch. And so therefore it's worth more. Right? And creativity is a challenging thing to put a price tag on. Surely is. Yeah. It surely is. I know, Mike, you had a show a couple of months ago with the Marquee and you had yep. three bands it, it was a fabulous evening, but you really grappled with the price tag for that ticket. And part of it was, you know, people are a little more comfortable staying at home these days. We're, we're broaching the concept that we might be in a recession, might not. Like there's signs and symbols of this. I think even hearing that word makes people freeze up a little bit in their spending. So maybe talk a little bit about how you yeah. landed on the decision you did and the outcome. Well, ultimately, it was a big venue that could fit a lot of people. And at the end of the day, we wanted to have as many people in there as possible. So if it was could fit a hundred people and you charge $30, you're taking in $3,000. Good math so, there, yeah, my friend. I uh, <laughs> went to Inverness Academy. A... <laughs> you did, did you hashtag mathing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, but the marquee can fit like 700 ish or so. So, well, yeah, we it's it's a tough thing because a lot of times at our shows we charge like thirty dollars for uh, a, a show for ticket price, but we one of the bands on the bill was a little bit younger and he was he didn't know if his audience was willing to pay thirty dollars, and we decided let's let's make the ticket price twenty dollars because that's most people can afford to spend twenty dollars in a night. And if we get a large amount of people to come out, then ultimately that's best for us because we just want to have people in front of us and play to a great audience and have a a great time. But again, if we end up getting 600 people at uh, $20 a ticket, Kristen, Matt? No, this is your, you're on a roll. Six times two is 12. (laughs) So then that's $12,000, you know? So, uh, and that's ultimately what happened. So, and again, there's, that's not just straight money I'm making or anything, but uh, at the end of the day, we decided let's go a little bit lower, try to get more people and just have a, an incredible night rather than 
upping the price and making it for a limited amount of people and only people who maybe are in a certain i get who would would have enough money to afford a 30 or 35 dollar ticket but again 20 seems like an amount that most people could dish out for a night of entertainment uh so it it, it really worked out for us it's cheaper than going to the movies yeah. Yeah. That should be how you market it, actually. Depends how many drinks you end up getting. Though. Yeah. Well, that's the popcorn factor, too. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. But what are some ways, Wendy, that we can start to shift our mindset? I mean, if we've spent a lifetime under one way of understanding and spending, what mm. are some ways that we can start to just question that? Well, I do think the first step is taking it from the unconscious level to the conscious level because it cannot be examined at the unconscious level. Then I think understand what's important to you. What are your goals, right? And I think um, you have to really understand those pieces because your why has to be strong enough that if you have to change course or, or shift something from a mindset perspective that you're willing to do the work, right? Because it's not a, well, I'm done thinking rich people are bad and so it shall be. <laughs> you know, right. it's not that easy. So, and I oftentimes think of it uh, when I do presentations, I'll I'll throw up this slide and it shows um, a beach, wet sand, muck, if you will, and there's this well-worn trier track in it. And that's really how our minds work, right? How many times, well, this happens to me, I'm like, hey, how did I get here? You know, you're driving mm. along, next thing you know, you're home, you can remember none of it. Mm. Or you end up and you go, well, I meant to go there. So now I'm back out trying to get there because my unconscious mind got me home. Yeah. So. You're going to stay in that rut and in that pattern unless you disrupt it, right? So if the pattern's going to the right and you need to go to the left, then you consciously have to do some work to actually get out of that. And that might mean you want to talk to um, a professional. It may mean that you need a book on doing affirmations and just even keeping that conscious so that when you are making decisions around money, is this the right decision for where I want to go? I love that. I, I it's rooted more in uh, emotion and in importance than it is. I think the way that we've been taught to look at money, which is just so black and white, dollars and cents. It's we've been taught it's math. Yes, and it is not. It is, but it's not right. Because if money was just math, we would all be fine with it. We'd all understand. Hey, I have ten. I can't spend eleven. But that's not how we're set up. If we look at money as just a an energy exchange, mm -hmm. do you have any thoughts on, um, like, would it be a, a good idea to purchase the expensive guitar if it made you feel a certain way? Like, does that open up Ooh. something energetically in you? I, I look at, again, we'll go back to that question of, is it worth it? So my husband and I, we are on a spending plan. The way I have it set up, we have a weekly number that we can spend on all our discretionary stuff. And I was in Toronto and he was flying up to meet me. This is almost four years ago now. And he uh, said, hey, do you want to go to a Raptors game? Right? It's playoffs. And I'm like, oh, yeah, let's. And this is the year they won? Yeah. So we saw them win the East. Oh, nice. So, and it was, they were the nosebleed beyond nosebleed center court seats. They were not in plan. I'm going mm. to tell you that experience was worth every penny we had so much fun the energy was there 
you know, it I was have goosebumps. Just, That's yeah, so cool. I but, can feel the like, right. yes, this was worth it. And but we had that discussion. Yeah. Whereas if you're not on plan, if you're not being deliberate about where you're and intentional about your spending, you would have just done it. So I think I got way more joy because I knew, man, I just blew my plan for this and it's going <laughs> to and it was worth it. Right. And now I know going for the next few weeks, I'm going to have to make some adjustments to cover that yeah. to make, stay on track. But it doesn't mean you can't have fun. How do you speak to a couple or artists in general like us who aren't making the same salary all the time? For that perspective, then I I talk about smoothing. Okay. So if you have, uh, you know, if you're a normal person and you have some debts and you have some things and some investments or whatever. Maybe you're running on a line of credit sometimes, maybe sometimes you're not. Um, and then you have a good month. I find that sometimes our mind says, woohoo, I'm going to pay off this, I'm going to pay off that, da, da 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 and then the next month sucks. So you're right back in it. This and feels I, real. <laughs> <laughs> so what I suggest is let's figure out what maybe the base is. And what we're going to do is we're going to build the plan on that. So we'll smooth it. You owe $10,000 and you made uh, 20 this month. Yeah, we're only putting two on because that's what the plan says. And then you'll hoard the cash. Hoarding isn't bad when it's cash, just so you know. Um, but, I'm good at that. <laughs> <laughs> but what it does is it smooths it so that you're not constantly in this up and down trough thing. And this is a lot of, you know, realtors are the same. They have months where they mm-hmm. have tons of closing and then they have nothing for a few months. Do you mm-hmm. mean? So there's a lot of industries that have this. And it is counterintuitive sometimes to say, you know what, I know you're paying interest on that. Well, it's, and you're uh, now I'm asking you to sit that money just to have it sitting in your checking account. But its job is to give you peace of mind, not to pay off that debt. Yeah. And then that means that the next time you get paid, you still didn't go to zero in your checking account and you're still following the plan. So the debt gets paid, but it's it's in an intentional deliberate fashion as opposed to throw everything down and then deal with next month when next month comes. The peace of mind part is something I have struggled with because I spent a decade working in government and had every two weeks the exact same number show up in my bank account, had a pension, had benefits. And while I would say 95% of my life has improved... (laughs) The money part is the one thing that I still struggle with now as a creative entrepreneur. Absolutely. Yeah. Is if you have any just kind I that's such a broad thing to, to sure. raise and ask you to speak to, but well, I'm sure you have seen this in your work before. I always joke when um when you, the thing you'll miss when you go into entrepreneurship is tech support and the two week yeah. check <laughs> tech support too. Mike's my I tech did. support. Yeah, at least you married tech support. Yeah. I did too, but I didn't have that when I first started. So, you know, that was one of those things you didn't couldn't just pick up the phone and someone would magically appear and fix the blue screen of death for you. But um, <laughs> yeah, so I think it's if you are already in a job and you're contemplating the move into entrepreneurship, build a buffer. Build up that runway so you have some time for that endeavor you're going to go in to start producing the cash you need at the level you need. And know what you need. Don't go in like if you this this is the part where sometimes the the big panties have to go on because, you know, you hate dealing with numbers, but you gotta. And so this is like in my world, 
I often recommend, listen, set aside a couple of days a month, put it in your calendar that you're going to spend two hours each of those times just looking at your numbers, working on your money, right? So put it in your calendar. It's an appointment with yourself. It is non-negotiable. This feels like a good sort of transition time to start talking about some of the technical things that we can do. So working on your mindset and then applying that to something that works for you. I know you've described Blackstar as more of a boutique Mm -hmm. financial advisory way of going about things. How are you different in the advice you give? And let's talk a little bit about what questions you might ask yourself in this part of your budgeting. Sure. So I actually dislike the word budget. Yeah. Uh, I'll apply the word budget to my business world, but my personal world, I call it a spending plan. Okay. Okay. So that, think about, uh, say the word budget, say the word spending, which feels better. Definitely spending. Right? Mm. So it doesn't mean that it's not achieving the same goal. But it's just like the difference between uh, I'm eating a nutrition, I'm eating to whatever versus I'm dieting, mm. right? So there's a lot of parallels, I think, in that industry versus our mm-hmm. you know, spending. Um, because if you go in feeling that you're depriving yourself, uh, there's going to be a time when you're going to, you know, go off plan <laughs> because, yeah. oh, my. and it's, you know, I'm going to go eat every cheeseburger at McDonald's because, man, this was a rough day, mm-hmm. right? Versus coming up with a true plan that works for you. So I like spending plan. I also like to think about uh, that a spending plan is 25% of your really good financial plan. And so inside that plan, you need to look at what your regular monthly expenses are, uh, and then you need to look at what is, what are the ones that you want to stay in the lines of. So, for example, travel, house stuff, kids stuff. You may want to set a number that you want to stay within. Okay. okay. And then the rest of it, the monthly stuff, automate it so you don't have to think about it. And then the number I work with a lot is your weekly spending number. And I call it the one number solution in my business because that is the number that is for my groceries, my eating out, my entertainment, my haircuts, all that type of stuff. Life is not a straight line approach, but your traditional budget assumes that you will spend the exact same amount every week on your groceries. And then I have this theory that there is a conspiracy in the world that when one piece of soap runs out, it all runs out. So you have to replace all the soaps on the same week. So that is $150 week, right? Yes. Light bulb week's an expensive one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we just had light bulb week last yeah. week. Yeah. Well, and if in a straight line approach, the mindset would be, oh, I spent 150 on groceries at the grocery store this week, so I'm going to spend 50 this week. And it just doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. So if we accommodate and build a plan around, we know life isn't straight line. We know we're going to have weeks where we need to spend more on groceries and less on eating out and da-da-da-da-da. You can then create this kind of flow, if you will, that becomes a little easier to manage. And so people who first start on this, and before COVID, I always wanted everyone to have the weekly number in cash. Mm -hmm. Because we've lost that relationship with cash. And cash is so freaking tangible, right? If you're down to your last 20 in your wallet and you go into Starbucks and it's $8 for whatever beverage you purchase, you may think twice. Yeah. Versus tap and off you go. Get your points from tapping, though. 
(laughs) (laughs) That's why I've changed some things and we built an app to help people with that. So, but it allows for things. So for example, we can sit down, my husband and I, and look at our calendar and go, oh gosh, look, we want to go out for dinner on Friday night and we want to go to the thief. So, you know, chances are if we want to have enough money for that on our, based on our one number, we're, we should probably brown bag it all week. Mm-hmm. Right? Like it's just thinking about everything kind of in a container. For example, oh, listen, I want to do my flowers for my house and for outside in the spring. And I go, oh, gosh, I want to spend this much. So based on my one number, I'm going to buy the front flowers one week and the back flowers the next week. The one number is a weekly awareness. Do you look at your spending habits in chunks of time typically, or would that be your advice? So I like to break down just having that one number because if you mess something up, it resets fairly quickly. Okay. Right? Good. So if I run out of, if my cash day is Saturday and I run out of money on Thursday, only Friday has to be bad (laughs) versus Mm. I ran out the third week of the month and there's a week to go. You know what I mean? So, and it's a seven days, it's easy to focus on. So that becomes your focus. Stay within the number for the next seven days and then do it, start all over again. So it becomes this, that's your focal point. Very easy to manage, very easy to stay on top of and control, right? Yeah. So. Do you have any um, advice on how to actually capture that information? Are you using a spreadsheet or what's the methodology there so look like? There's a couple of things. So what I tend to do to come up with someone's one number is we actually uh, analyze three months of spending mm. completely. And then we balance off with, okay, here's... For entrepreneurs, a lot of times I look at last year's tax return to kind of get an, and you know, is it going the same this year? Okay, good. Let's let's use this as our income number. So there's a balance off. There's this um, part art, part science to when I do a one number, because I look at things like, oh my gosh, they are a shopper. So I can't if we use the math part. The number is is say three hundred. But looking at what they do, that won't be enough to accommodate some of their behavior. We don't want to change all the behavior or, again, make something that's not lifestyle and sustainable. So we'll actually bump it up. Okay. Sometimes just based on previous spending habits and things like that. Uh, what can accommodate? And then we look at um, what are your goals? Like, you know, we've had discussions with people like, listen, Here's uh, our plan. If you spend 400 a week, we can pay all your debt down in three years. If we give you 500 a week, it's going to be four. What's which, which is more important to you, right? Because you do have levers that you can control how fast you get to certain goals. Uh, and that, that's balance of today versus tomorrow. I feel like I, I definitely don't have a specific number in mind that I... Uh, base my my weekly spendings on i just kind of (laughs) flow flow through life and you artist you (laughs) and i don't but i guess i don't really spend money on anything other than the things that i need right like but that that's partially because yeah i i've went through some some slim years you know and just the the mindset is like okay just I'll look at my bank account and okay, if I have enough at this point, maybe I'll I'll get something for my studio or whatever it may be. But I'm never out there. Like I would never just 
randomly go to the mall and get something. Like that's like I get what I but need. There, but there that. are folks that that's what they do for recreation. Yeah. Right. Like going to the mall. Yeah. They're doing whatever. And it's also sometimes a symptom of a way of coping. You know, some people drink. Yeah. Some people eat. Some people shop. Mm-hmm. Some people do all three. Mm-hmm. But there can be, that can actually be a symptom of a deeper problem, which I am not equipped to handle. But it's one of those things that being aware of, are you shopping because it's an activity? Is it feeling a need? Is it whatever? You know what I mean? Like, do you have stuff in your closet that still has tags on it that you've never worn? Mm. Might be a symptom of something. Right. Right. Just like uh, if someone's having a lot of money problems, uh, one of my first questions might be, do you still open your mail? Why that question? Because if you're avoiding your money, you haven't opened any of your mail. Gotcha. You're not looking at your bills. Yeah. Because if you don't open them, they're not real. Yeah. Is getting rid of debt a piece of advice? Absolutely. Yeah. So what I like to do there is set some goals, be realistic. Um, I tend to think of net worth, what you owe versus what you what you own versus what you owe, as being a great barometer. So if I pay down my debt, I've increased my net worth. If I increase my investments, I've increased my net worth. So I like to try and do, for the most part, unless it's super bad debt, I will then say, let's do a balanced approach, right? Let's pay down the debt, but let's also start gathering some assets and doing some investments because that also triggers your mind. So when you think about motivation, seeing uh, an investment account grow can be exceptionally motivating, just as much as paying down that debt. Mm. And so uh, I'm also a little contrarian on the paying down of debt in the sense that I sometimes will not go for the most expensive one first. I'll go for the smallest one. Let's get you that win. Let's right. keep you motivated to continue the the activity to get there, right? So the sooner you can get a win, because I don't know why the most expensive debt always is three to five years to pay off. So it's like, no, let's do the one we can do in six months mm-hmm. and get it done. Get the credit card before the mortgage. Right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Speaking of mortgage, we... We have been under, we kind of created the idea that we want to pay off our mortgage as fast as we can. And ultimately not having that, that payment bi-weekly that we make towards it will create a lot of freedom for us. So we're kind of making sacrifices, I guess, every day in all the choices we make and how we are approaching our spending habits to be able to save money to put towards our mortgage, the most we can pay each each payment, and ultimately, when we have any money kind of sitting there, rather than keeping savings, putting that towards uh, the our mortgage each year without any penalty. When we can, we can't always, but our goal is pay that off, get rid of that bill, and then we're free forever. Well, and we've also like we've first paid off our student loans and we have no credit card yeah, debt. Yeah, this is our, our our This is one, the last thing yeah. we're chipping away at, I guess. Our too, I guess. Are but. you also investing at the same time? A little bit, but probably could be doing more on no. that. So, here's my theory on this, okay? So, the thing is is that understanding why that is important to you, right? Is that because you were taught that debt was bad? Is were you uh, is that a money mindset 
that even having one little thing of debt is bad versus, you know what I mean? Like, and I understand, like, there's a lot of pros and cons to paying off your mortgage faster. But when I look at the cost of the capital for that mortgage, even in these times, chances are you could make more money, more on that money. Like it could do bigger things if it were invested in a different place. The other thing I worry about that aggressiveness sometimes is that um, you're essentially trapping that money inside this house. Yeah. Right? Because you can't necessarily go out and then go, oh, look, we need this. And uh, yeah, so I'm just going to write a check against my house. Right? So these are the things to think about. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. Right? Because it's different for every person. But these are some of the things I think about as I'm working through a plan. Because... There are a lot of people that come in going, I just want to pay down my mortgage, yet they have, you know, there's no RSPs, there's no TFSAs, there's, you know what I mean? So it's like that balance of how do we build that out in a way that gets you where you want to get. So, you know. I think this speaks to the individuality, too, of the work that you do. It's Like there's no one size fits all? No, that that is so true. uh, All my plans are very bespoke. Yeah. I I guess my... uh, perspective in this is our house with the with the real estate boom in the last couple of years our house pretty much doubled in value yeah. we're locked in at a very good interest rate right now and so we're investing into this like when we pay off the amount that we signed our mortgage for we're essentially once we're done we're doubling the the money we made because of the value of the house went up so the caution I have there as well, again, is maybe it's just because I've been burned a couple of times with some clients yeah. who said, I just have to pay this off. And then there's always something. Yeah. And so, oh, now I need a garage. Okay, I'm going to pay that off. Then I'll start saving, right? Yeah. So you're losing, you could be giving up the opportunity of earning compound interest versus paying it, right? So it's that delicate balance yeah. of figuring that piece out. Like like you said, it's de- it's definitely different for every person. But being aware of the bias that you have towards saving that off and and making sure it's still serving you and not there's another way to get you to the same place. Do you find that people are always looking for more? So if I were if we were to pay off the mortgage, then we want to buy something else. And like, is it more about being on that, that hamster on, wheel? That depends on the person. But I have definitely seen that. And that's why I, even if it's a little bit, I'm always like, let's get some of those assets building on the side as well. Because when we're, if we think about it in the bigger scheme of things, like right now, you're in accumulation phase, you are earning money, you're, you know, paying down, getting a house, paying off the house, accumulating assets. And then there comes a time, but for a lot of people, maybe they slow down or they stop, right? And then there's life after work. So that's when you have to start figuring out, do I, did I build enough assets to provide my income during that phase? Right. Right. So that's, it's that, again, balancing that out to get you to the end, right? Because, yeah. you know, a lot of times people pay down their house or are close to paying down their house when they go into retirement. And then there's a time when we're going to sell it. And that's when we're going to pump up retirement plans, right? So, you know, it's different for everyone, um, you know. I find 75 to 80 seems to be when people go, you know what? I am tired of mowing the lawn. I'm not mowing the lawn anymore. Or I don't want to do any of that work around the house. And so they're ready. 
And so then you sell the house and that's when you can use that money. But until then, it's kind of there. Unless you're prepared to put a line of credit against it in retirement, start using some of that equity towards funding your lifestyle then. Mm-hmm. Right. Another, another thing about <clears throat> artists is like, we're probably never going to retire. I know. We're probably just going to, I'm going to make music till I die on stage at a rock show that's packed to capacity with thousands of screaming fans, you know, Sweet. when I'm in my 90s. <laughs> <laughs> well, there are people showing you the way. Uh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. You're the Mick Rolling Stones. Yeah. yeah. But it's, I, I guess like most people are paying into their pension and their RSP and they have a specific, certain age where, okay, at 65, I am done work and then I can rely on this mm-hmm. this money that we put aside then. But I, I don't ever, that's not how I see my life or our life at all. Like we're just going to create until we can't and universal basic income comes in and is able to provide us provide for us for the rest of our lives well there you go well so (laughs) i often talk about this thing i call the power number that's what i like to help people and especially entrepreneurs figure out right yeah and that is but based on income streams and accumulation of assets when could you walk away if you wanted to and so then you're working Purely because of love, not because of a mortgage payment yeah. or what have you, right? Yeah. And so one of the other things to contemplate is the so- this, as soon as you can get there, things change, right? How you approach the world will change everything. Also, all intentions aside, there are times when um, we are retired not of our own choice. I.e. maybe mm-hmm. we become disabled and we yeah. can't work any longer or something like that. And so having a plan so that that's covered yeah. and you're not stressed about money because of that. Like there's there's thought processes around yeah. that, right? And I call that shockproofing your finances to say make sure we have enough buffers in places, access to capital, et cetera, if things yeah. go wrong. I've heard that $75,000 is the benchmark number used and for meeting your basic human needs. And then beyond that, it's kind of, you know, individualized or your lifestyle. That number is likely a little bit higher with inflation these days. Has that ever come across your path, Wendy? It's like the number for happiness, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. Just, the happy number. Yeah. Like yeah. like your your needs are met. Like you you have a roof over your head. You're able to feed yourself, have a little bit of wiggle room there. And beyond that, it's kind of gravy, beyond, I guess. Beyond that, it's essentially more money, more problems, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> essentially. Oh, my gosh. Well, I uh, I tend to not play in rules of thumb. So what we'll do when we're working with somebody is we'll look and we'll build the plan for today and we'll build that spending plan. And then what we do is we go, okay, let's fast forward. You're not working as much, you know, or you're slowed down or you're stopped. What's changed? And, oh, you're traveling more? Okay, let's put some more money in that. Oh, yeah, you don't need that because you're not working so we can cut that expense. But this has happened. You know what I mean? So. That's when I like to cost out what life after work might co- would look like. And then I look at that as the after-tax dollar, and then I go, where are we going to go get that? Mm-hmm. And how are we going to plan the different income streams that we can have, right? So I really look at uh, retirement planning is all about buckets. So we are filling the buckets as we speak, right? Whether you choose to do an RSP bucket or not, or a tax-free savings account bucket. Um, you know, I hear sometimes when people 
uh, don't completely understand, sometimes they will use words like, oh, um, you know, my mutual fund's an RSP. No, a mutual fund is something you put, it can be put into your RSP bucket. It's something that can be invested in, in an RSP bucket. It is not an RSP. Right. Right. So if you think about the bucket system, we're filling up the buckets. So a good financial plan is figuring out based on your situation, how which buckets to fill first, which ones will save you taxes today, which one will save you taxes tomorrow, and balancing that all out. And then once we know what life after retirement is going to cost, we then start figuring out <laughs> it's in decumulation mode. We now figure out which buckets to pour the money out of and when to minimize taxes going forward, right? You've given us a lot of great examples of the type of advice you offer. What would an experience as a client look like in working with you and your team? So it's typically we start off uh, pretty intense in terms of building the plan, right? So the plan has to be built. Uh, If you're an entrepreneur, we add on a couple extra things uh, as well um, into that piece. So we want to figure out what your break, like especially what is your break even life cost? Then what is your ideal life cost? Then we work our way through to your business. This is the add-on for business owners is that we're starting to figure out, okay, based on your current cost structures and based on your products, et cetera, et cetera, this is what your top line sales have to be in order to produce that amount of income for your life, right? So Mm -hmm. we tie that together because sometimes we forget that business is there to fund our life, right? So we, we, we figure all those pieces out. And then we start to apply some of that pricing model stuff. We'll go back and we'll look, you know, uh, based on all of this, and if your average painting is the average price of your painting, $1,000. Let's go with 1000 So based on all of this, you need to sell two paintings a month to fund the life you want. Mm -hmm. based on all the other variables being taken off, taxes in particular, that we've saved the money we want. We've got you protected. That's all in there. Well, now you know, oh, I sold my two paintings this month already. It's the first of the month. So now you're able to pull back on that hustle grind to some degree because you know you've done it. So that gives you some certainty. You may choose to sell three more paintings. <laughs> Go for it. Yeah. But you're not, you don't have to stress about it because you've already done, you've already hit your numbers for the month, which can be liberating in some respects. Um, and that's what I like to do. So if you added that all up, that's, you know, $24,000 a year in sales, but that might be a big number for somebody. But if you take it down and go, you need to sell two paintings you have to sell a painting every two weeks or you have to sell a painting two a month, right? Now our mind can be more wrapping around it and gives us that focus Mm -hmm. to be able to go, oh my gosh, I haven't sold a painting in a week and a half. I better get on it. What is wealth? Ooh, see, I think that is different for every person. Now for me, wealth is about the quality of my life. It is also about my bank account and it's about all these intangible the strength of my relationships, um, how I feel getting up in the morning. Am I healthy? Because my health is a big part of my wealth. Uh, so I look at all those pieces. And then I also think if we're going to go back to mindset and wealth and things like that, if there's sometimes a can be a mindset around that wealth is bad or that I'm greedy if I want too much for my stuff, you know? Oh my gosh, your paintings are actually worth 2000 but then I feel greedy. 
But if we can somehow realize you, you know, purpose can be amplified by profit. So it's okay to make money, even if your purpose is to help people. Because first off, you know, oxygen masks on first. If you are wealthy and healthy and all that stuff, you're actually going to be able to produce more and give more to the world to begin with. A lot of that stuff takes money. And not being stressed and anxious about money means you're actually giving more to the world as well because you're not, the voices in your head aren't talking about, oh my God, how are you going to pay that bill this week? They're talking about, hey, how can I help that person? Yeah, that's so true. This is really, really helpful stuff. And I think a lot of our listeners will certainly, uh, there's a lot of artists out there and artists aren't the best at taking things like this into account. (laughs) You know, we just kind of flow through life sometimes and just however things are going, we just flow with it. But taking a little bit of responsibility is never a bad thing. And I think this will open a lot of people's eyes for sure. Yeah, Wendy, tell us about your podcast, for starters, and any types of uh, like special events or services that should be on the radar of our listeners that are coming up for you. Absolutely. So we, our podcast is called The Real Bottom Line, and we interview entrepreneurs. Yeah. Um, so what I love finding out about and getting people to talk about is, well, how did they become an entrepreneur? Right, because I find that job that road is always fascinating. Tell me about the lessons you've learned, and and I don't necessarily want to hear, oh my god, I'm awesome. I want to hear about the time you tripped and you figured out how to catch yourself, because I think there's way more to be learned from mistakes and failures than there is from success. Sometimes, sometimes, and then we'll dig into subject matter expertise, and that's where I want some tips and tricks that any entrepreneur can take away about public relations, about marketing, about HR, about even anything, right? So that they can use that and apply that in their business. And we have uh, what might be an interesting uh, downloadable publication. Send me a note or I can give a link to it. But we ha- I'm, I wrote this guide called the Money Conversation Guide for Couples. And it's not has nice. nothing to do with business, but it's a way to help. Uh, it's like five steps to working your way to getting on the same page about money and then also setting up a weekly meeting or monthly meeting to talk about money and there's a suggested agenda and stuff because what I know for sure is a la Oprah is that you the more you talk about money the the less the emotion will entangle it right so you're every time you talk about it in a practical sense talk it through with your partner or talk it through with someone, you're taking a little bit more of that emotion out of it and turning it into the tool it is. Right. Just normalizing that a bit. Normalizing it. I love that you have this downloadable thing that we have access to because I think often, not just with money, but in all parts of our lives, we have desire to know ourselves and improve it upon ourselves. We just don't always know where to start. Absolutely. What questions do I ask myself? So having this resource is huge. Thank you. You're welcome. You may recognize some of the questions that are in there. <laughs> <laughs> we just had a little flavor here on the podcast. A man once picked me up while I was hitchhiking. And I was hitchhiking because it was cheaper than taking a bus. Um, 
you know, just you're very consistent. I like that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and most most people probably would have decided to take the bus, but to me, I'm like, oh, it'll be an adventure. You know, you meet a lot of people, and I've hitchhiked between Halifax and Cape Breton, like three and a half hour drive. Like, I don't know, two hundred times, maybe. <laughs> oh gosh, that's awesome. Uh, maybe not that many, but a lot anyway. And so this guy picked me up hitchhiking once and had a great conversation with him. And uh, one of the things he said to me, and this is a long time ago. I haven't hitchhiked in a while, just for the listeners to know. But uh, he said, if you can't afford to pay your bills, you have too many bills. And I thought I kind of took that to heart. And this was a, a young version of me. I was like 20 or so. And I have kind of always looked at that in a in a way where i don't need to be doing this if if, if, if i can't afford to do this like i just don't do it yeah, yeah like and obviously if uh you 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 need to pay certain bills you need to buy food and have heat and all that but you can always figure out what you don't need in your life and cut that out and it's kind of been an approach I took and I just wanted to see what your uh, reaction to I, that would be. I, I love it. I have another quote and then I'll go dig into that. Was this someone who picked you up hitchhiking? No, I, no, I don't think I've ever hitchhiked. So, okay. But um, uh, one of the business coaches I, w I worked with, his one of his quotes was um, if you can solve a problem by writing a check, you don't have a problem. Mm. Which I found so interesting from a mindset perspective. To get back to the spending thing, though. So I advocate that quarterly, at least twice a year, comb through your credit card statement and look at every subscription you have, because that's where they yeah. creep up on you, right? Yeah. And that's where you go, am I still using that? Yeah. So my husband and I just did that, and we cut unbelievable amounts of money. You got rid of Disney Plus. We should do that today. We haven't watched I it. just finished rewatching The Golden Girls so we can We're yeah, good. we can eliminate that. Yeah. We cut Crave now. in the middle of uh White Lotus and I so I, you know, I sacrificed. That is I a don't sacrifice, know what happened Wendy. In the well first, done. In the first season. <laughs> <laughs> I'm proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. But that's where that stuff creeps up. The stuff that you, oh, I'm just going to try this for a week and then I'll cancel. Yeah. Well, how many of us actually do? Yeah. And then you forget about it. Yeah. So that's one place that you can find. Yeah. So uh, I wrote a blog post recently. What did I call it? I was like, uh, um, one was uh, stop donating. And when I meant donating is when all these subscriptions that you don't use, I'm not talking about you know, charity. I'm talking about what do you what are you paying for that you don't use? Yeah. Gyms, etc. Yeah. Right. Then I said start shopping because there's a lot of big things like our cell phones, different things like that, that we did a lot of research when we first got them to find out the best rates. Well, your usage may have changed or maybe someone else offers a better rate now. So yeah. that's where you should shop that around. Yeah. And insurance. Exactly. Yeah. And then the other thing is, um, during the pandemic, I picked up some habits around convenience that I don't think are worth it anymore. So, you know, uh, Uber Eats or, um, you know, the grocery store where they would, you know, 
what is it, Instacart. We would do Instacart. So I know I was overpaying there, you know, but it was worth it to me then. But now, you know, and, and especially in these times of inflation, you know, you know what? Um, I can peel my own carrots. Right. Right. Like, cause that convenience of buying the carrots isn't worth it to me anymore, or I can chop up my vegetables. So revisiting your convenience premiums and making sure they still serve you. Those are my three spending tips uh, that I would recommend you do that can probably save you a ton. Brilliant. Love it. Yeah. Gosh, Wendy, thank you. So we knew this would be a really helpful chat. It's yeah. exceeded <laughs> it's my amazing. expectations. Oh, good. Yeah, thank you so much for your time it and so fun. advice. We'll certainly post all of the links in our show notes, but where can folks find you? Blackstarwealth.com is the name of is my website. Wendy Brookhouse on LinkedIn. So that's where I hang the, hang the most. That's where you hang out. Well, yeah. we're happy to hang out with you here at Hot Jupiter Sounds. Yeah, it was a pleasure, Wendy. Thank you very much. Thanks so much. Cheers, everyone. And here we are, the introduction of podcast episode number 48. Money, money, money. I gave the reference to more money, more problems in there. Oh, that was a good one, too. Yeah. There's probably a, oh, the more money we have. What's that one? I don't know what you're saying. (laughs) Pink Floyd song. Lots of money songs. Send us your favorite money song. We'll, uh, We'll go through them. Make a playlist. Money playlist i don't know if do i have any money songs i don't know i don't know i can't remember right i, I can't see that you would but maybe you will now maybe this oh, episode my song, bitches and money <laughs> your number one hit <laughs> yeah <laughs> bitches and money listen up yeah town look, heroes. look up the town heroes yes uh yeah that was that was a super great conversation wendy's wendy's super cool and awesome in every way yeah she's very smart and has a unique background like she she's educated but still super creative so she's this great hybrid for people like us yeah i like her a lot yeah so we're away in sydney next week back to the island you've got some recording work to do up there and you're doing a teach are you teaching at nscc what's that about Uh, just they got me in to be a guest speaker to talk to some you know, mold some young minds about the music industry. Mm-hmm. That'll be fun. Yeah. And we're celebrating our anniversary tomorrow. Yeah. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. Thank you. It's our seventh? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody asked us the other day when we met, and I said 2016, which was not at all true, but... I, yeah, I'm not good with dates. You're really bad with dates. Yeah, so if you and say numbers. seven years, I'm, I'm here for it, no matter what the number. How about that? Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay, folks. Well, hope you're all doing well out there. Thanks for joining us, and we'd love to hear from you. Send us your money songs. Send us your reviews. We've got a big giveaway coming up, so stay tuned for that. Uh, check out our social media pages where you can find the info to to enter that giveaway and we hope you win a great prize okay see you next week buds <laughs>